0: So this morning we are entering the third week of Lent and of course the purpose of Lent in the church calendar is to remind us of God's holiness, his suffering and our need for repentance. Before we begin this morning let us ask God to open up our eyes to see and understand and obey his word. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we give you praise. We thank you, O Lord, that you are faithful to us. Lord, we ask for your mercy here today. Please pull back the veil. Give us wisdom and understanding from your word. We thank you and give you praise today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, one of the things about the church calendar is it does give us a rhythm. It does help us to order our life, not according to what's happening in the world, but instead to thinking about things rightly, that God is over all, that Christ is Lord of all, even of time. But again, coming back to this idea of Lent and repentance and being in a state of repentance, we need to be careful that it doesn't just become something that we think we should be doing, during Lent it's not just seasonal or weekly like we did this morning what we did this morning is important but repentance is the way of the Christian life we do of course learn how to practice our daily living by our liturgy here in our service now what I'm saying is how we do the service reminds us of what our daily liturgy should look like. So that is to say that we should, just like we did here today corporately, as the people of God together repent, we may need to make sure that we do that each day. Now it's important that you recognize that I am in no way speaking against the assurance of salvation, but rather reminding us of the warnings that we heard over and over again, but certainly we heard this last week in Deuteronomy chapter 8, in verse 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest, when you have eaten and are full, and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up, And you do not forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which there were fiery serpents and scorpions and a thirsty land where there was no water. Who brought water for you out of the flinty rock? You know, he tells us this, and again in verse 17, when all this is good is going on, he says, Then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. I only bring this up as a preface for us to be reminded of the fact that we have been blessed by God's goodness and his forgiveness. And in one way, we can become full of God's mercy and grace to such a point that we become ungrateful and we start to think, That we are the ones providing all of these good gifts in our lives, including being set free from the bondage of sin. We forget that the calling of God's people is to be an instrument of salvation to the world. You're saying, wait a second. We were talking about I need to repent, i got to do this daily. What does this have to do with being an instrument of salvation to the world. Well, hold on just a minute. We're going to work through that because this is really important. We cannot be the instruments of salvation to the world if we are unrepentant. We were speaking this morning about the book of Psalms. And let us be honest, have you ever read a psalm and thought to yourself, I'm a little uncomfortable with that. I don't know how they're thinking that. How can this be the inspired word of God? And it says something that makes me uncomfortable. People of God, you don't change how you view Scripture. You let Scripture change you. If you don't think like the Scripture thinks, then you need to change the way you think. Repent of your sin and ask God to help you to think as He thinks. Now, it's certainly possible that you might not understand the passage. So go to your elders, go to your teachers, go to folks that you trust, that you know have studied God's Word, and just clarify. And I would encourage you in this way to go to at least three people to make sure that by two or three witnesses, you are getting a right understanding. Because sometimes we have a tendency to go to people that just tickle our ears, that just tell us the things we like to hear, the what we want to hear. Make sure that you are going to two or three witnesses concerning understanding a difficult passage. But here today I want us to remember that the way of repentance and submission to God's Word is the way to be an instrument of salvation to the world you know that I like to always provide us a little bit of context to the text that we're studying so we're gonna start actually in Luke chapter 12 today just outlining a little bit of this passage at the first part of Luke chapter 13 we see in Luke chapter 12 in verse 1 that the people are eager it says this in verse 1 in the meantime When an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled on one another. And I'm going to pause right there. Can you imagine this for a second? A church where there's so many people in it that they're trampling upon one another. They're that close to hear the teaching of God's word. So they're eager. They want to hear. They want to listen. And it says this. He began to say, that's Jesus, to his disciples. Now think, there's all these crowds of people, and who does Jesus turn to? He turns to his disciples, those that are listening, not just his 12, but those that are really intent in hearing it. Now there's lots of people clamoring to hear him, but are they clamoring to listen and obey? He began to say to his disciples, first of all, that is, that is the first in rank. Hey, listen, above all, I want you to hear this. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, I want to point this out to you. This leaven, this is metaphorically moral corruption. Now, this becomes very important when we get to our passage today in Luke 13. Now, it's interesting. If you look at Webster's Dictionary, the 1828 version, remember that when Webster wrote that, he was writing it in such a way where he actually, if you get it, you'll see that they'll have the places where this word is used in Scripture. And so for us, in understanding our English language, it's really important that we look at how the words really meant. And it says this in Webster's 1828 Dictionary, that hypocrisy is an assuming of false or counterfeit appearance, which here's the important part, which conceals the real purpose. So he's, he's warning his disciples and those that are listening to be careful about assuming a false or counterfeit appearance which conceals the real purpose. Verse 2 tells us this, For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, that is, the real purpose is going to be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the housetops. Now, I've read that many times, and perhaps you have too, and I don't know that we've always approached this rightly. He's talking about the purpose of the people of God. The the true purposes of the people of God are going to be shouted from the rooftops. It's not simply about your secrets and your sins. Well, there's that too. But, But the context right here is that the purpose of the people of God, of the people of Israel who were God's, Mediators to the world, they're the instruments of salvation to the world. This is really going to be shouted from the rooftops. And those things that are false will be exposed. Here, Jesus is calling for the repentance of the Pharisees, the multitude, and even the disciples of the false purposes of the people of God. Remember, the Pharisees, now think about this just for a second, this should give us pause. Because a lot of times we hear Pharisees, oh, those are those hypocrites, right? But this is really important. Remember that the Pharisees were the sect, or we might say in modern parlance, the denomination of Israel, the people of God, who believed the Old Testament to be the word of the living God. They were not like the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection. It was just a way to give some sort of moral and cultural code and we're going to stay in leadership. That was the Sadducees. And they weren't the real radical guys that wanted to cut everybody's throat at every turn, the Essenes. Right? No, they were the ones that said, We believe the Bible to be true. And yet, they had in fact become prideful and full of themselves as to being the people of God and knowing. The right ways of God. They had left their calling of bringing the message of God's mercy and forgiveness undone. We can see this confirmed in Matthew 23, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay, tithe, and mint and anis, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Remember what we learn in Numbers chapter 29 about the Feast of the Tabernacles. Now this comes after the Day of Atonement. They are cleansed of their sins. People of God think about the process of what we do here today. We come here and we repent of our sins and we're going to come to the Table of Peace and then we're going to go out into the world and be commissioned to be instruments of salvation to the world. Right? So if you look at Numbers 29, we see that just prior to this passage on the Feast of Tabernacles, there's the Day of Atonement. And in the same month, right after they finish that up, they go right into the Feast of the Tabernacles. They go from confessing to rejoicing, being at the table of peace with God. But in the middle of all this, there's a sacrifice of 70 bulls. And that 70 bulls represents the 70 nations out of the table of nations that we see in Genesis. And they were the mediator. They were were representatives. They were the priests to the world. And they were, in fact, sacrificing those bulls as part of worship and mediating for the world. This was set from the very beginning. You know, it's very interesting, again, if we look at this we can see what our calling is and the how, even though they claim to be the ones that are orthodox, the ones that are standing on God's word, they became prideful in their view of it. And they wanted justice, justice, justice for everybody else but themselves. But they want justice. That's their drum. But they were leaving out mercy and grace. Jesus goes on, farther on down in chapter 12, in verse 13, and it's the parable of the rich fool. Then one of them from the crowd said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he, that is Jesus, said to him, Man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, and that is, so he went from the one guy that was asking the question to all of them and said, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store up my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul. You have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this very night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, a lot of times we read that passage and we take it again. We, we, have the, we cut it all up. We don't really look at its context. Remember, Jesus is talking to the people about their purposes, about taking God's grace, about being the people of God, and them not doing that. And here they have a guy who says, you know, Jesus says, don't be covetous. And, and he, he says to himself, think about this, soul, the eternal part of me, this is, this is the, the, the rich man, You have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Sometimes as Christians, we take God's grace and we say, I've been given grace and forgiveness, and I'm going to hide it and hoard it myself, and I'm not going to give it out. This is why Jesus tells us in the Lord's Prayer that we should forgive others as Christ has forgiven us, right? As God has forgiven us, we should do that for others. And then he even emphasizes it by coming back and says, yes, I'm really serious about this in the next part of the verses after the Lord's Prayer and points that out. You must forgive those who sin against you. You've got to do it. We love getting God's mercy new for ourselves every single day. Unfortunately, we are very stingy in how we dole it out to those that are close to us and to those in the world. Remember the call of God to Adam and therefore to all people in Genesis chapter 1. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Again, a lot of times we look at that and that's about taking over the world and doing all these things. What good is it to take dominion over the world if the gospel is not preached and hearts are not turned? Taking dominion is not simply about establishing a political flag somewhere, but it is much more than that. It is preaching the gospel and making disciples to the very ends of the earth. We are called to be instruments of salvation. It is important. If you go back and look in Luke chapter 10, we see that Jesus sends out the seventy. And the reason I bring this up is this is the call, this is the portion, this is what got the point that God is trying to make. Jesus is trying to make to these people and God is through his word is making this point to us today. And Jesus, when he sends out in in Luke chapter 10, sends out the 70, he's telling them to go out there and heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you, Okay. And it says, but if they reject you, it says this in verse 12, but I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. This is the context. Jesus is coming. First of all, John the Baptist comes and he preaches repentance, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then we see Jesus begins his ministry and he begins to preach, and he's bringing and calling the people of Israel to repentance, to Not only obey parts of the law, but to obey the purposes of the law, which is to reestablish the world, all the people, back in relationship to God. This is... Very, very important for us to consider. And when we think about this, again, consider for us in Matthew 28. You all know the passage. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you to the very end of the age. Remember, that is our calling, taking dominion, Making disciples, that's all the same narrative. We are to be instruments of salvation in the world. Again, returning back to Luke chapter 12, we see that sometimes worry can overcome us. Worry. And it says this in verse 22 of Luke 12, Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. And again down in verse 29, And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. Listen now, verse 30, For all these things, the nations, that is, the Gentiles, the heathen, the unbelieving, of the world seek after. And your Father knows that you need these things, but seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. A lot of times we try to put this into to some type of context. Again, we pull it out. We're not looking at the larger picture of what's being said here. And we say, oh, I'm trying to get some. I've got to seek these spiritual things that are out there. It's somewhere detached from me and where I live. There's some sort of spiritual place I'm trying to transcend to. No, Jesus is saying the context here is to the people. The whole thing is about what is the kingdom of God. Jesus is coming. He is the kingdom. He is telling them that they need to repent of how they've been thinking and stop worrying about all of these other things that distract us. But rather turn and be concerned. Don't be like the unbelieving. But understand that the nations are seeking something. The world seeks after all that. Self-preservation. That is the opposite of Christ, am I right? He laid down his life for us. It's not about self-preservation. But if we drop down and look at Luke chapter 12, verse 41, we see that, again, pride and haughtiness that that helps sustain us in our position. In Luke 12, 41, Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to the people? And Jesus responds down in verse 45, But if that servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day he's not looking for him. And at that hour, when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion to the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself to do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed these things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given to much will be required and to whom much has been committed of him they will ask the more. Here's here's a warning. He is saying two things. Those who, who don't do the will of God are not instruments of salvation out of ignorance. You're still going to be disciplined. The judgment's still coming. But it's certainly not going to be near as hard as those who are teachers, as those who are leaders. And remember, the book of Luke starts out and it names who the leaders both religiously and politically are. As Christians, we're called to be instruments of salvation. And this judgment that's coming upon us, every one of us in this room is a teacher in some sort, by the way, and we're going to circle back to this later. But if you don't think so, parents, look to your left and to your right where your kids are sitting. If you teach a class, if you disciple people, where are you at on these things? Oh, by the way, If you think, I don't have any kids, or I don't have any kids in the room, you remember when we baptize people, what happens there? You take an oath that you're going to assist those parents in bringing them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. What are you doing as far as that's concerned? Are you an instrument in salvation to each other, to the children of this church? We see again... That what they owed to God, they, what they did, they did not give just judgment and mercy. They owed God thankfulness for their mercy, for his mercy, and they would not give it. They were proud in their perspectives, and they lorded over people and added extra weight upon them. And they pressed hard on others. I'm going to say this again to all of us here in this room. A pastor friend of mine not too long ago said this in a sermon. He said, what if in your household, what if in this household, the church, your household at home, this household here, what if in the household of everything that we do, grace is one notch higher than justice. Jesus is calling the people of Israel to repentance, lest their pride bring the coming judgment upon them. And now we come to where we are in Luke chapter 13 in our lectionary reading today. And it's the message of the fig tree. There were present at that season some who told him about Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered them and said, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Remember, this is all one conversation. These are not broken up pieces. So this is what he's speaking to. Be careful. The judgment's coming. You need to repent. You need to get to doing the things that God has you to do. Now, what's going on with these Galileans? We don't have any record of this outside of the Gospels. But I'll tell you this, that during the time that Pilate was governor over that area, there were 32 uprisings in Israel against the Romans. And frequently, Galileans were among them. Now, it could have been that these men were part of riffraff and and rabble giving trouble. And one of the rules in the Roman Empire to a governor, you got to stay governor if you keep the peace. And he thought, I'm going to be sneaky. These guys are going to come into town. They're going to go to the temple. They're going to have their sacrifices. They're going to be doing that. And I'm going to go in there and I'm going to kill them. And what this mixing of the blood was, he went in there and he killed those guys. And the blood that was coming from the sacrifices in their worship was mingled with their own blood. And they're like, oh, what a terrible thing. What what a bad judgment on those people. That's awful. Those must have been wicked men to have that happen. No, Jesus says. Were they more wicked than other Galileans? No. No. And then he says i tell you unless you repent you will all perish likewise or those 18 on whom the tower of siloam fell and killed them do you think they were worse sinners than the other men who dwelt in jerusalem i tell you no but unless you repent you will perish likewise remember what does jesus say he says prophets are killed in jerusalem the place where their prophets should be welcomed and and listened to the most the city of god jerusalem the place where the temple was, a place where worship was made to the Almighty, right? That's where prophets should be taken and listened to, and yet he says, Jesus says elsewhere that that, that all the prophets they die in Jerusalem. That's what happens there, and that's why Jesus knows that's where he's going, and he says, listen, unless you repent. Right, You're going to be like those that the the tower fell on, but were those people more wicked than anybody else in Jerusalem? He does not want the people to perish. He goes on and says this. He's calling for repentance, of course. He says this in verse 6 he also spoke this parable A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none then he said to the keeper of his vineyard look for these three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none cut it down why does it use up the ground now the Bible tells us gives us this image of the vineyard we know the vineyard is is a part of an imagery in the Old Testament of the people of God and the blessings right? We see that in other parables even. And a fig tree is a tree that would have been planted in the center of a vineyard, and it just grew there and flourished there and did well. As a matter of fact, it didn't even need much tending. It'll just grow. We had a fig tree in Monroe, and that thing, we didn't do anything to it. And every year, it just produced figs, figs, figs everywhere, and kids throwing figs around. And <laughs> Anyway, but it grows It doesn't need much and yet it grows and here this this master comes and says this tree is growing and it produces no fruit year after year after year. And the keeper of the vineyard says this, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not after that, you can cut it down. Now, this is really interesting. Because I think that both Jesus, and the apostles, and those first century Christians, they were in fact the keeper of the vineyard. And they were called to fertilize and do what they could to make Israel, the people of God, flourish and to produce fruit. What was the fruit? To be instruments of salvation to the world. And if you don't think so, think of this, the temple. We know the temple is going to be destroyed in 70 AD, but it's really, really interesting when you look at the first part of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 3, in Acts chapter 5, in Acts chapter 7, all the way up to Stephen's martyrdom in Acts chapter 7. Where is the message going out about the gospel? At the temple, at the temple, at the temple. There's some other places too, but it's largely at the temple. Right? In Acts chapter 5, verse 42, it says this, And daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. But after the martyrdom, after they rose up and they could not stand to hear the gospel, which, by the way, Stephen's sermon goes into from the beginning and the establishment of the people of God, he, he preaches the whole history of God's mercy and grace all the way to Christ. And they rise up and they do not want to hear God's word. They do not want to submit themselves to God's word. And they rise up and they kill Stephen. And you see that also at that point, Paul is there. There's a turning point. At that point in the book of Acts, the attention moves away from the temple and to the synagogue and we see that Paul is in the synagogues in chapter 6 13 14 17 and 18 we see in acts 13 15 and after reading the law and the prophets the rulers of the synagogue sent to them saying men and brethren if you have any words of exhortation for the people say on then Paul stood up and monitoring or excuse me motioning with his hand said men of Israel and you who fear God listen the god of this people Israel chose of our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt and with an uplifted arm brought them out of it and now for a time of about forty years he put up with their ways in the wilderness and when he had destroyed the seven nations in the land of Canaan he distributed their land to them by allotment." So Paul gets up and he starts telling the story. You're the people of God. God's given it to you. Right? You are part of the instruments of salvation. This is their calling. And he says these things. In Acts 13, 42, this is what happened. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. The Gentiles were ready, and the Jews were resisting. In Acts chapter 24, we see this. Now after five days, Ananias the high priest came down with the elders, and a certain orator named Tertullius. These gave evidence to the governor against Paul. Now, they're they're rising up. They're fighting. And actually, in Acts chapter 28, it tells us Paul responds to the accusations. And he, he quotes a portion of Scripture. But the main point here in Acts chapter 28, I just want to point this out to you is that he is bringing the end. The end is coming. The judgment is coming. The God will cut down those that will not obey his word to be instruments of salvation. Now we heard today in our epistle reading, you might have thought, what does that have to do with any of this? Again, I'd point you out both to Paul in Acts uh, 28 there, Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7, the history of the people of Israel is being given. And we see that it's for a purpose because we see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it's about remembering our Father's example. And by that I mean this, we are to learn from the examples of others. Because we are going to be tempted in the very same way. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 11 says, Now all these things happened to them, that is, the people of Israel, as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. There is a warning to us as Christians to not fall into this same temptation, to not be instruments of salvation to others, to the world. And again, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation is overtaking you except such as come into man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now it's interesting because I think the very next verse in that passage, which we didn't read today, is very important. Verse 14 says this, after that admonition, it says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. What are you idolizing that is keeping you from being an instrument of salvation? Is it your family, your job, your prestige? Your pride, whatever it is, what is keeping you? What idol is taking your attention away from obeying God's call in your life? Our last point today is to be instruments of salvation, grace and mercy. And this comes through repentance. We need to hear God's word so that we can come to repentance. So we can change the way we think. So we can change our actions. First, we need to confess our sins to God. One minister once said this, reminding the people of God listen carefully. God stands more ready to forgive you than you are ready to be forgiven. God stands ready, more ready to forgive you than you are ready to be forgiven. All too often, we, we, we confess certain sins. And yet we hold on. We're not ready to be forgiven in every area of our life. Confess your sins, people of God. Confess them. Hold on to nothing. Let no idol keep you from confessing your sin. Psalm 116, verse 4 tells us this Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Gracious. Listen to the response Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. God is full of grace. He's full of forgiveness. He's ready to forgive you of whatever idol you have. Psalm 13:5. but I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Psalm 31:7. I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy, for I have considered my trouble. You have known my soul in its adversity psalm thirty-two, ten: many sorrows shall be to the wicked but he who trusted the lord mercy shall surround him psalm 86 5 for you lord are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you first peter 1 3 blessed be to god and father of our lord jesus christ who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. People of God, run to the cross, run to Jesus, seek forgiveness. God is ready to forgive you. Finally, through that, be an instrument of salvation to others. Are you an instrument of salvation to your husband, to your wife, to your children, to the people of God? And yes, even to the lost and the heathen. How are you being an instrument of salvation? How are you discipling them, teaching them, repenting to them when you sin against them? Be humble. Your call is not to simply not to do evil towards others. We comfort ourselves. I'm not doing anything that's hurting anybody. No, no that attitude leads to idolatry. It leads to a sense of being centered on myself and my goals and not on being an instrument of salvation to others. We are to be humble, to serve, and to do what is right. Or, His judgment will come and He will raise up others. Let us pray. Merciful Father, We thank you, O Lord, that you are gracious, that you forgive us of our sins. Lord, may we be humble and grateful, full of mercy, as you are merciful to us. Let us be honest to you, Lord, and speak honestly towards others with grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.